This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live here from the Internet Law Center in downtown Santa Monica in the heart of Silicon Beach. We've got a great show for you. Like a lot of people in the United States, we have a bit of Olympic fever. And um, as we did in 2012, McMillan on to kind of recount um, the Munich Olympics on the 40th anniversary of those games and the, the tragedies that, that ensued. Um, we're going to dabble with a little bit in the Rio games. Um, we have with us a distinguished professor um, from UCLA, Professor Susanna Hecht, and she's going to give us an, an introduction, kind of an overview and a better understanding really about the, the fascinating host com- country, Brazil. And uh, Professor Hack, are you with us? Sure, I'm here. Um, I didn't know you were in Silicon Beach. Hello, yes, hello. Yes, nearby. I, yes, I I, well, we could just we could be driving and meeting in person. Uh, right, we, our engineers in Baton Rouge or something. I don't know. Um, a Boca Raton, uh, I believe. Oh, okay. Something to that effect. Any event. Um, so great to have you. I know you're calling in from Topanga, and um, so. As we were saying offline, Brazil is a fascinating place, and it's over the last twenty years has emerged as a um, an economic power. And there's even mm-hmm. discussions about you know the Brazil deserves a seat on the security you know permanent seat on the Security Council, um, and and other and other it should be given a certain recognition military power, and so. But so few Americans understand much about Brazil beyond Carnival and you know a girl from Ipanema and um, and Brazilian soccer. So I, I thought it would be a good this would be a good opportunity to kind of introduce them to Brazil and particularly since it seems Brazil, as um, Bloomberg um, recounts, is um, in a state of unraveling. It seems with the latest political scandals. So. Um, let's start, though, just talking a little bit about your background. And uh, I know you've, um, you're with the Luskin School at UCLA, and uh, why don't you tell us about how, how you got to approach um, Brazil? Well, I actually um, have always been interested in Brazilian development, and I came through it actually through my interest. I'm a, I'm a person who's uh, – I'm a geographer by training, but that doesn't mean I just work on maps. I work on basically land use change and particularly in the American tropics. And I'm a specialist on the Amazon. Now, you can't really understand the Amazon without sort of putting it into context with Brazilian development strategies because it's been such a critical part of Brazilian development in the last 25 years and actually historically before that. But um, I also work with um, on other kinds of questions about history, about um politics and about its contemporary economics. Let's just um, start off really by saying that Brazil is about the world's eighth largest economy. So it's a it's an extremely large it is in its southern region is much more industrialized and I think if we just have the sort of carnival and soccer and the gorgeous the gorgeous beauties of uh, of Brazil um, you kind of don't understand. You don't get the feel of industrial place. It's got huge car manufacturing. It's got a lot of textile and so on, but it also has a huge natural resource dynamic. One of the things that people tend to think is that Brazil is kind of 
a former colony of the U.S. in a lot of ways because the U.S. was really important in putting in the dictatorship in 1964. Um, American hegemony in Latin America in general has really declined a lot. And right now its main trading partner is actually China, um, followed by the U.S. and, and by the EU. So it's not, um, it's not a dependency of the U.S. particularly anymore. Um, although that was true in the 60s and 70s and early part of the 80s. So it's, it's a, it's a very powerful, uh, country that's globally integrated. It's a very dynamic natural resource sectors. A lot of it is like, and especially soy. Some people might be aware of this, that for a long time the soy was sort of driving the Amazon deforestation frontier. What you might not know is that Amazonian deforestation has declined by 80% since, um, since 2004, and part of that is intensification in that soybean frontier, which most of it goes to uh, the U.S. And, and Brazil sort of, you know, trade off who gets to be the top soy producer. Um, right now they're number one. <laughs> Well, yeah, oh, yeah, you know, it's every, every, uh, every month it changes. But the point is that this is a, this is this major GMO sector. It's about 500 million hectares in South America. So about 100,000 acres. It's a lot of soy. Um, most of which is GMO. Most of which is dominated by Monsanto, um, Monsanto things, uh, GMO seeds. So it's a, it's a very dynamic chunky economy that is very influential globally. So when you're, when you're looking at the introduction, uh, that they sort of watch the, if you watch the introduction to the Olympics was, and then colonialism, and then there's, and then, then there's favelas. They didn't, they gave you, with a sort of cliched bunch of music to go with. Um, <laughs> and that's not really what it was about. It's, it's a mostly urban place, nominally uh, important economically in South America. It's it's, ba- it's development bank, which would be the equivalent of um, is it's you, the central bank, but it's also its um, development bank for investment in various kinds of things. Has about a hundred billion dollars in it. Just for comparison, the World Bank has about twenty billion. Um, it's a wow. big signatory to this new Chinese development infrastructure development bank. So, and it's about it's embarking on a major infrastructure development throughout the Amazon, actually um, integrating the Amazon basin into the Pacific side. So, it's a place where there's a lot of stuff going on, but you wouldn't get really a sense of that from. I've been trying to watch the Olympics, and you know. It, it seems like it's like an American sports fest for the most part. You hardly ever get to see any other athletes, and Brazilians did sort of okay in a few things. They're they're good shots. Um, uh, they're they're Olympic level shooters. Um, so just to give that as a as a big background, it's really a big country. It's got a re- for example, if the Amazon River started the Sierras here, it would come out. In New York, so it's it's a continental-sized place, which sometimes gets forgotten. Um, the other thing is, it's in the middle of an, a tremendous political turmoil right now. So, shall I take? Shall I? I guess, let's let's jump to that in a second. So, you, you have this, but they've also just experienced, uh, I guess, in maybe the ten, fifteen years, of this a, a huge economic spurt. And at the same time, through some of the programs by you know, President Lulu, um, and taking to reduce the level of poverty in mm-hmm. Brazil and creating a middle class. Um, and what what was it that generated this huge push? Which is just the fact that this and just servicing the local economy, and given the natural resources they have, it, it's just- a very big export sector. Um, and the export sector is in the natural, mostly in the natural resource sector. So it's agricultural products. It's, um, particularly 
beef. It's the world's largest beef export and uh, the, the world's largest meat packer in the world, which is JRB, is based there. Start to look at sort of the leaders in agricultural commodities and mineral commodities. You'll see a lot of big um, uh, Brazilian companies there, including Petrobras, which I'll get back to in a minute because uh, it's definitely very relevant. Will, yes. <laughs> um, so one of the things about Lula is that he was a leader of the um, workers' movements in um, in the industrial sector. That is, he comes out of the industrial sector um, uh, and the powerful unions that were very important in undermining and getting rid of the authoritarian period. The other thing is, at the same time, you had his counterpart, who was important, on Amazonian deforestation and development politics, which was Chico Mendes, who was assassinated in 1988. Now, um, Lula gets to the presidency, and the PT, the Workers' Party, sort of takes over all the political, all the political positions. Now, uh, and what they do is they have a strong, they have a strong export-led dynamic. That is, they don't give up the export sector. They do some redistribution, and, and form, foremost among them are things that people might have heard of, which is called the Bolsa Familia, which is the family, um, it's a family system. And um, so this was uh, one thing that raised the, the, dropped the level of poverty from about 16%. 11 to 10 percent. So that's a big drop when you have a, a lot of people. The thing is that they actually did then begin to fund things like pensions and so on. So the public, um, uh, the public uh, support sector became much stronger. Now there's many things that you can say about that over debates over conditional cash transfers, but it really made a difference amongst the sort of issues of absolute poverty. But the country, which remember, it's the eighth largest economy. It's larger than most European economies. And so the redistribute, you know, the, the highly unequal redistribute, the highly unequal system of income distribution, you really had to do something about it. Um, and so they did, and that made Lula very popular. But in the meantime, they were putting a, they were doing a lot of investment in, um, not particularly, you know, in social, in, in social, um, in social goods, in social money, but not so much in social infrastructure like, like clinics and buses. Mm-hmm. So the pro, while there was a quite a bit of investment in the city, things like the roads and, and to improve, um, you know, how things move in these cities. But uh, overall, there was sort of not much investment in the productive in- infrastructure, much beyond the extractive sector. So they did a lot of stuff on the logistics to facilitate exports, but they didn't do stuff that really facilitated processing and so on so that more of the local uh, value added stayed in, in Brazil. So that gives it this export dynamic where most of the value is created outside. It's a raw materials where most of the value is created away. So, um, so the, the meat product, you know, making of soybean meal and so on ends up being outside of Brazil than within Brazil. And so that's important. So President Lula's chief of staff, I believe, um, is Dilma Rousseff, who then mm-hmm. takes over after him. And yeah. she follows some of his policies you know, during the first term, but then it seems in the second term she decides to um, all of a sudden do a austerity package, and which seems to send the economy a tailspin. Is that a fair reading? Um, I think it's more complicated than that. Um, first of all, the um, the global slowdown, while it wasn't so difficult in Brazil um, as it was in many other places, because it actually wasn't so dependent on the American economy. People that were dependent on the American economy got countries that were got quite a shock. What happened with this was that Dilma was actually head of the big Brazilian state corporation called Petrobras. 
and um, she gets elected, and there begin to emerge these huge scandals about bribes and the infrastructure deals that go on. Now, Dilma's, if 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 um, if we can think of Lula as being sort of interested in natural resources and uh, forest peoples and so on, he had a very famous environmentalist, uh, Marina da Silva, as one of his, as his environmental minister. So she had a kind of a different vision, you know, not so much more and hydropower, which we sounds clean, but it has a lot of other things to it. And she was more interested in sort of decentralized grids and solar and wind and so on. It's not like they don't have sun there and, um, <laughs> and other kinds of models. Um, but also she was a, a more radical social activist. Um, and so eventually she sort of gets uh, removed from the thing. What begins to emerge is this problem of IRSA, which is the integration of South American infrastructure. And it's a multi-billions of dollars. And one of the things that's key in this starts to be um, the infrastructure for the dams. And these are like damming the Missouri River. This is, you know, these are huge tributaries. They're larger than most of the rivers in the world. And um, there's a lot of bidding on them that turns out to be corrupt. There's a lot of bidding for the World Cup for all those stadiums. I myself don't know how much a stadium costs. I bet most people don't. I have room for corruption and also a right. lot of kickbacks. And then with Petrobras, which was to be, you know, generating a huge amount of um, energy, natural gas, the petroleum scale, which was actually very, for lots of Latin America, Ecuador comes to mind, Peru comes to mind, Bolivia comes to mind, which were, and Venezuela, of course, is the, is the poster child for how you get ruined right. in oil uh, price crash. So what was one of the important drivers from, from um, oil exploration, and then there's all this corruption associated, it means that pretty well, very expensive projects that are kind of, I don't want to say boutique projects, but, you know, in a, in a, con, in a place where the roads are terrible, good, and so on, and so on, Cuban doctors to man these, um, these clinics because, uh, I don't know. Doctors are busy doing plastic. Evo Pitangi, by the way, the king of plastic surgery, just died two days ago, just for just as a little trivia point. But anyway, um, the point, the the economic dynamics that were down one because, and the other is the slowdown in China. So they start to they have this idea that the boom days of Lula are going to go on forever. There are these sort of staggering. Um, uh, of the natural resource economies, um, it all and and the big projects like the World Cup and the infrastructure projects that are really controversial, you start to see a lot of corruption. And um, what while she herself, Jilma, uh, is not uh, herself, she gets in trouble for basically protecting people. So what's happened now is that yesterday they had a vote to continue the impeachment process. Her vice president, Temer, T-E-M-E-R, is under indictment for, you know, $20 million in bribes and kickbacks, which is not a trivial amount of money, I think, in any political system. Yeah, the entire Congress is rife with these corruption corruption scandals, which are eye-popping in their magnitude. It used to be people would say, oh, a million or two. There was always the joke. Right. Um, you know, he's corrupt, but he gets stuff done. It was like really corrupt, and stuff doesn't get done. One thing we have to get done is we have to take a short break. Um, for, so I'm on Business Report only on Cranberry Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. 
Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at wmetraining.com. A more refreshing kind of talk radio. Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. All right, and we're back, and we're talking with Professor Heck about Brazil, and we were talking, and she gave us a great lead up to the current um, pitch going on in Brasilia. Um, with I forget the exact number of members in the Brazilian Assembly, but over half are under investigation currently. And yeah, and so- one was just accused. I was reading the folio de Sao Paulo this morning, and was just accused of sexual harassment. But, you know, it's always been wild and insane, you know, wild and crazy. The political class there is horrible and has the famous corruption people in there is kind of jaw-dropping. And the level of kickbacks, the level of um, bribery is quite extraordinary. But the thing is that, you know, as I mentioned, this is a really big economy, it's got a lot of big, um, it, it's got a lot of these big projects, like some of your uh, listeners might have heard of the Belo Monte Dam in the Amazon, which is, and then there's another dam, damming the Madeira. These uh, have enormous impacts on regional, regional environments and regional populations. These are areas that flood what had been national forests, indigenous areas, uh, rural communities by the score, and instead of being sort of the carbon, the carbon savior kind of thing that we like to think about with hydropower, in these cases what happens is that it floods these forests which then um, degrade underwater and then produce methane. And methane is kind of a super greenhouse gas. So That's interesting. Ra- rather than, uh, rather than, than helping out with um, the greenhouse emissions thing, it's really exacerbating it. Um, and the, the, the spin you get out of Brazil is that you know, we're the third largest producer of renewable energy, and look at all this you know, hydroelectric stuff. Aren't we being green? Well, it, it is true that they have based their energy, their, a lot of their energy stuff on, um, in the south on hydropower and the, uh, iconic there is the Itaipu Dam, which is uh, dams the Parana River and f- basically gives all the uh, energy to the energy, the industrial infrastructure in the south. Um, so that was one that was really important. And then there's been a couple of, there's been some some smaller damming elsewhere to to run it on hydropower into these huge dams, whose electric generation is um, actually viewed as a means for mineral smelting. So what you're doing, particularly of things like aluminum um, and iron to some degree, but actually that's pig iron, so they mostly just deforest and make charcoal reduction of ore to, for pig iron. But um, what you have is a, is a model in which the most of the... Um, the the energy that's generated isn't going into anything except mining, which is um, 
done by, in this case, international uh, conglomerates and, of course, Brazilians, um, Compania Vale do Rio Doce, a terrible reputation now because they had a break in one of their slag that basically completely killed the Rio Doce River a couple of months ago. So, and, and totally killed it. it. It was like putting, you know, the world's worst poisons and heavy metals into a major river. So, um, so there is, there are some problems. And of course, there was massive social resistance to this. And there was always, but, but Gilmer looked at this as infrastructure equals jobs and that once it was done, she'd be out of office and everything would be fine. But the corruption around this particular project was so great that the, the CEO of Odebrecht, which is, was the company that did it, was put in jail. So we're wow. looking at a kind of story where, of course, when we collapse in the United States, when our corrupt people collapse economies, they, <laughs> they just keep flying around in their jets. <laughs> uh, but they actually started jailing people and jailed a lot. And there is, they did it through a really interesting technique, which is that um, they did this, this model was based on how they captured drug kingpins, which is they would say to the lower people, look, we'll let you off or give you a really mild sentence, but tell me who's above. And so they sort of followed it, if you will, um, the the commodity chain or the production chain all the way and got every and got people at the top. Now some people were able to pay a big fine and say I'm sorry, and you know, and then that was that. That that seems to be a very popular thing in certain kinds of uh, circles. But also many people went to jail, and not just you know some supervisor in the Amazon project but people who were actually the CEOs of these companies. So this so seemed to create a, a boiling point to the point that you had millions taken to the streets mm-hmm. and, and, and substantially eroding support for Zilma. Well, also what happened was that um, the, economy, the economy starts to, take, to go down in part because of the... Um, um, the slowdown in the global economy, and particularly the slowdown in China, its biggest trading partner, and more, you know, she's trying to ramp up the economy in terms by using these uh, big infrastructure projects, like the, I mean, you know, big pharaonic projects. But the dyn- dynamism of the economy begins to erode, um, and they didn't really invest in more infrastructure, more technology, those kinds of things. Or if they were going to do infrastructure, they didn't. They didn't bother to improve um, um, transportation system, urban transportation systems, or um, or medical facilities, which you could have done relatively cheaply, certainly compared to giant dams. Um, and so the thing about the public services was that there, they all they saw was like these gleaming stadiums and you know, giant dams and big stuff going on. Um, revenues were collapsing because of macroeconomic dynamics, and so there were all these cutbacks. And Gilma does an austerity, but it's not that strong an austerity. It's actually that the rest of the economy starts to, starts to con- contract. So the other thing is that the model in Brazil is actually quite decentralized. So that um, um, they're not they the 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 local cities that may have been depending on on both transfers and region, regional economies are contracting because of the decline in the in in these um, more in the macro economy. So while they, she keeps the um, the things like the bolsa familia going and drops it by ten percent, but that starts to cut in to um, uh, consumption. So the sort of Keynesian side of their growth model um, starts to decline. And as, as we know, that those are the kinds of engines of local economies. So it has a kind of ripple effect through the economy. And in the meantime, the things that the state is supposed to be responsible for, which are transportation systems and um, clinics and schools, 
are tanking. So it's uh, it's seen as a big failure in public health. And they have, you know, like they have Zika. This is like this major horrible um, um, uh, they have dengue. Uh, dengue. They they and they've had dengue going on really for the last decade at very high levels. But the Zika virus, of course, is the one that's most that's most prominent because the drag on the economy and all anguish as a function of these um, these uh, very sick children. In fact, it was microcephalic uh, children that was one of the stimuli to the PT movement when it first began in southern Brazil because all because of all the contaminants people were giving birth to these you know anencephalic children and microcephalic children so there's really been a problem and of course it it correlates you'll be amazed to hear this with poverty and of course people began to go what what's the deal here we need to have, you know we need to have public health now, they had the experience of a very good AIDS program, HIV AIDS program. So they knew that the public health system could actually function reasonably well. Uh, but then it wasn't doing it at all for something that is, you know, um, which is very important to Brazil and many people, which is the, the health of their babies. So this right. caused also a massive, massive disillusion with the state. So you have kind of term here with, um, you know, a, a macroeconomic slowdown when in, and you didn't invest it where it could do some good, where it would do the most good. Um, you had, you know, sort of the creation of billionaires and so on. You had this, the political class there is corrupt from the get-go, but under the PT, and I have been a PT supporter, um, you can only say that the level of corruption was sort of eye-popping, even by Brazilian standards. You have a lot of expenditure on public projects, but they're on pre- public projects like the Belomonte Dam, which has a lot of local resistance and whose beneficiaries are rather narrow, uh, nar- a narrow set of beneficiaries. Right. And then no public investment in... Um, social goods, social infrastructure, and then it all collapses. And then, uh, so, so even, even, you know, regular people who take the bus are in the streets, the middle class is in the streets because everything's falling apart. Um, now there's so, a narrative, the, there's mm-hmm. a narrative going that the scandal actually being overplayed and that it's somehow, this is, you know, the charges against Dilma aren't really there, and this is really just the one percent trying to get their power back. And well, there there has been a lot of argument that actually, because she herself is not that corrupt, and what she's accused of is taking um, federal monies and putting it into a camp into electoral campaigns, which is not exactly. Um, pe- I mean, people have. There's like a campaign, mm-hmm. so the, the and the level of which that is, is not is not considered. It's not considered like getting a bribe of twenty one million dollars, you know, um, in terms of these things. The other thing is that there is a question, which is that what is this a bloodless coup? Um, this political story is that um, the ramping up of the 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 global, which is the 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 it's the most important um, TV station, is quite right wing, and um, used this as used this as a platform on which to um, discredit her and to undermine the PT government in favor of the other the other PMDB and PDS which are much more centrist right wing although she's quite centrist so this is not she's no she's no she's not a fiery uh radical and so what you have then is a situation where there was a lot of emphasis on the scandal but the lavajato scandal is not a trivial thing i mean it was right to be 
it was right to be at the focus of these kinds of things. You imagine how corrupt this political class is. But the main victims of it were tended to be these PT officials who ended up going going to jail, or in the case of Joma, who was just basically uh, yesterday while everyone was cheering Michael Phelps and the U.S. gymnastic team, and that team really is fantastic. But while that was going on, and all attention was focused on Brazil, uh, this other story about the impeachment of Joma Rousseff was rather lost. Uh, it didn't appear. It didn't even appear in any newspaper I read today. And I read several. I mean, except the Brazilian ones, of course. So and we're so going to take a, another short break. Um, we come back. We're going to um, get get the lowdown on the latest on the impeachment and um, whether or not the Olympics was a good idea for um, Brazil after these messages. You'll listen to this report only on Cranberry Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Cranberry Radio, online anytime at cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back. And um, Professor Heck, you were, you were talking about the latest developments on the impeachment and the, the question I have and you, you also used the, I guess the, the, the phrase a perfect storm and it does seem to be that and it's not just a perfect storm it's, it's perfect bad timing too mm-hmm. because just at the very moment the whole world is watching and not only do you have this scandal you have Zika which you know this isn't peak Zika season so fortunately that's not so bad but you have um, ready. You have a polluted bay that's, you know, you have um, aquatic events taking place in. You have um, athletes being mugged. And, 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 and I guess the coup de grace is the, they lose the key to the Olympic Stadium. They actually <laughs> get a locksmith to let themselves in. And I, I guess the question is on balance um, are Brazilians going to regret having this event? Well, what sort of left out about the infrastructure development of this was that there was also massive repression in all the uh, Rio, all the Rio favelas. So basically, the and, and the complete, yeah, the complete militarization of Rio de Janeiro, which had been had declared bankruptcy about six months ago. So you have you have a kind of uh, militarization that goes on, and again, everyone is in arms because. There are these sweeps that just take over everything, everybody, take out everyone. You know, you could be walking home and you would get swept up. Um, um, the, the incarceration of huge amounts of people, big crackdowns on the favela economy, which is, involves drugs and gangs, of course, but, but it, there's a lot of collateral damage when people just go in like that. Um, 
they uh, they did get the what they say is a set of terrorists. The question is whether they were really terrorists or not. I don't know. It's you know, there's always these things about in Brazil that there's a lot of you know things that are praying lace there. You know that these are little spectacles that sort of are distracting. So there's this militarization going on. Things are working in in principle. These infrastructure developments for the Olympics to be improving the general infrastructure. In some cases, that may be the case. But a lot of the development is actually slated after the Olympics to be sort of, you know, more elite forms of development. So that infrastructure, the, the, infra, the, the transportation-based infrastructure will have transportation hubs that are actually elite rather than um, poor, um, poor uh, questions you know, for poor people. The other thing is Brazil's, um, it, it, it's, it has improved its water quality, but essentially it has a, a, a mid-20th century um, Treatment system. sanitation system yeah. in, in a megacity. And that's not unusual in the developing world, but then when you have these beautiful beaches with these fabulous hotels and so on and so forth and want to have Olympic water events and these things are really quite polluted, uh, there sort of isn't nothing that you can do. They can, they have been trying to clean it up and they have stuff to do it, but they can't really. It's, you know, it's a, it's a much bigger, and essentially they've been using all their open sewers and then also their sewer system basically is tubes under, uh, tubes underground and underwater that transfer the waste way out, but the ocean, you know, does have an ebb and flow. Right. So, um, so their their system is uh, kind of problematic again. So what you have, I guess, is that um, you you have a, a dynamic in which the questions of public health and public investment in um, uh, public usable infrastructure has been added into these sort of glossy uh, modernist, postmodernist Brazilian. Um, Brazilian as showing itself as, uh, as, as a, as a modern, you know, as a, as a kind of tropical Los Angeles rather than sort of looking more carefully at, um, uh, so it's, it's more, for, it's more for this question of the spectacle rather than for, um, substantive changes. I the guess other the thing qu- is, oh, go ahead. I guess the question is, is, in kind of looking forward and, you know, whether we should be optimistic or pessimistic about Brazil's future, are, are, are these just growing pains of a large economy moving from second world to first world status? Or, or are there, is this going to be a lingering problem for Brazil that Brazil really has to come to terms with this um, if it's really going to become what I think it might be? I think um, that, that's a terrific question. And, the thing about Brazil is it has a really high degree of inequality. Um, it's, if not the first, it's the second most unequal um, economy in the world. Who's uh, number one? Is it number one now? I, no, you know, who is again, number one? I was just curious. I was U.S. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, Wait just... For USA. <laughs> <laughs> just, just FYI. Uh, so the question then is this legacy of any, can this legacy of inequality, um, really be, be transformed? Um, and remember, it's got many hundreds of years of really strong racism, uh, of real underinvestment <clears throat> in human capital as a consequence of that. Um, and it's not that Brazil lacks innovative capacity or um, uh, the resources in which to develop that capacity. Um, it's an extraordinary, extraordinarily innovative economy. All that soy depended on the innovation of the bacterium that fixes nitrogen for the soy plant, which it needs to move into these areas with really crappy soil. So you know they they can they're an inventive um, innovative enemy, but you can't do that if you don't 
support your um, human cap the development of human capital and the development of other kinds of economies besides drugs and international exports and the entertainment industry. So we can look at this as somewhat of a entertainment industry uh, enterprise. Um, but the question really becomes: Can does will this development model hold hold strong enough? Will there be enough redistribution and investment in the kinds of infrastructure that makes for real jobs? Well, in some parts of Brazil, you can certainly see that in areas like Blumenau and. Santa Catarina and so on, you see a lot of textile, ceramic development, and then also a lot of logistics development as part of this IRSA getting stuff over the Andes. So you can sort of see things moving along in the logistics thing um, and in some sort of smaller industrial sectors, but whether what's going to, this is this process, this political process is also very paralyzing economically. Just people don't want to invest because they don't know what's going to happen. Right. Um, the people who Temer himself indicted with twenty for taking twenty one million dollars in um, bribes, also a TV evangelist um, in a in you know a country that well evangelic Christianity is widespread, but still, um, who has a very reactionary. Model it's the ultra trickle down. He his minister of agriculture is one of the largest soybean growers in the world, um, and so they have a model that is not particular right now a development model that's not very inclusive. And what will happen is that that will cause a lot of social tensions, which makes people less interested in investing. And unless they start to get some uh, co-investment in in other kinds of activities besides you know, taking minerals and trees out, um, and in facilitating export of raw materials, the model is a little bit shaky. So while one could have argued that um, it was on its way to becoming, you know, not just a developing but a developed economy. It's it, the model that the, the 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 macroeconomic structures right now, coupled with the political instability and the regional economic instability, means that you're just not going to see much. Its rate of growth right now is negative. Just as a as a counterpoint, places like Peru are having six percent. Um, rates of growth, which is, of course, not necessarily a perfect thing because it's minerals, too. But what you are seeing is not very, you know, a, a direct extractive economy with throwing stuff into the market and not capturing the value added that you could be capturing on these, on these streams, these streams of export. So we'll see because export-led economies... Um, if that's all they're if that's all they're investing in become really unstable um, over time. So the question I would have is, well, we'll see. Uh, the political winds are blowing away from recovery because you'd need more social investment in a lot of ways and industrial and kinds of investments that capture the value of the export flows a bit more. Um, and while you see you see that in some places, as I say, like Santa Catarina and some of the southern southern states, overall you're seeing quite big slowdowns. And only, it's not helped by climate change. That's true. We only have um, two minutes left, and uh, so it sounds like that the Brazil's blowout loss to Germany isn't the worst thing that's going to happen to them this decade. But um, in the time we have left, can you tell us if people want more information about you, Professor Heck, where they should go to find that? Well, UCLA's Luskin School of um, uh, of Public Affairs. So that's www.luskin.ucla.edu. And do you blog um, on this, or do you have a Twitter account that you like to share? Um, no, I, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm one of these. I do a blog on what's called the Global Public Affairs, 
Um, so if you go to the Luskin website and go to GPA, I have a blog that comes on every every couple of months. Um, but uh, uh, it also has papers, and also you'll see that there are other very interesting uh, international colleagues, many of whom work on Brazil, too. Also, mm-hmm. let me say there's the UCLA Latin American Institute, and you can just go to the UCLA thing and put Latin American Institute, and there's the Brazilian Studies Program, and also there's very interesting things going on there as well. Well, thank so you very much. A, we have a, a link to your profile uh, on okay. our um, on our show notes at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. So check it out. Is her bio, and there's a link to her profile there. Um, in addition, there's a link to a backgrounder on Brazil um, with papers and videos and um, PowerPoints. So if you really want to dive deep in, it's all there. Um, finally, um, good luck to Cat Holmes in the Olympics tomorrow and fencing. And one last announcement, um, the IP and the Internet Conference um, will be September 6th in San Francisco. Information is on the blog. Check it out. Hope you can join us there in San Francisco. It's a Tuesday after Labor Day. All-Star cast, um, top names in Internet law. Hope you can join us. And Fressa Heck, thank you very much for your time. It's been a fascinating discussion. Um, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day in Topanga. And everyone else will be back next week. We'll be talking about um, Silicon Valley and uh, cyber. And so we'll have Dan Lyons. Um, author of Disrupted and one of the Silicon Valley TV show B.O. So thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week and have a great week, everyone. Thanks again. Um, this is Ben and Kelly. Um, follow us on Twitter at Cyberlaw Radio and be sure to check out the Internet Law Center at internetlawcenter.net. Thank you. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.